Welcome to Bible Study. This is your stand-in host, Len. We have a panel of five today, and I trust that you enjoy this study called The Children of Promise. And so I want to welcome Ken. Welcome, Ken. Thank you, Len. Good to be here in this beautiful day. Joe, welcome in, uh, to the study this morning. Thank you, Len. Good to be here. And Brenton, welcome from the deep south. Or... Yes, it is the deep south, but the sun is shining and we're looking forward to some light on God's word today, Len. Oh, that's be wonderful. And Helen is our facilitator. Welcome, Helen. And I pass it over to you. Thank you very much, Len. It is a delight to be here. And we're talking about one of the greatest promises. And um, we've got the study today entitled Children of the Promise. Of all the promises, the most enduring and important one, the one that makes the other promises worthwhile, this is the one that we are going to study. And it's known as the Messianic Promise. But before we do so, I'd like to ask Joe to pray for us, please, and for the listeners. Dear Father, please be with us and bless us with your presence. Help us to gain a deeper insight and understanding as we consider and discuss the study of the Messianic Promises and how we can be children of the promise. Help us to get a clearer view of Jesus um, and his sacrifice and love for us. And help us to cling to your promises as Abraham did and walk ever closer with you. Again, be with our discussion today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Joe. Okay, <clears throat> what is the Messianic promise and when or if has it been fulfilled? I'm going to ask Ken, would you um, care to have a go at an answer for that, please? Sure. I'm just going to quote uh, Genesis 28 and verse 14, and I'm reading from the King James Version. And here we have God talking to Abraham, and he says, And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Uh, this is a, quite an amazing promise, and it goes much deeper than what we've just read here. And just quoting another little uh, section here. No questions. The covenant promise of the world's saviour is the greatest of all God's promises. The Redeemer himself becomes the means by which the obligations of the covenant arrangement are met and all of its other promises are realised. All Jew or Gentile who enter into union with him are accounted as Abraham's true family and inheritors of the promise, as in Galatians 3, 8. That is, the promise of eternal life in a sinless environment where evil, pain, and suffering will never again arise. Can you think of a better promise than that? I don't think so. So here we have God talking about all the families of Abraham in future generations are going to be blessed, and I believe this refers in particular to the coming of the Messiah, who in turn would bless all those who would turn to him. Thank you so much, Ken. I felt like saying hooray, hallelujah, when you when you mentioned about the promise of eternal life in a sinless environment, no evil, no pain, no suffering ever again. Wow. Will that be a great day? Yes. It certainly will be. 
Okay, Genesis 15, 1 says, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. What does this verse mean? Well, we're going to explore it. That was Genesis 15, 1. When it says after, after these things, what things and what or who is the word of the Lord? Okay, well, this is a rather interesting thing. If anyone reads the previous chapter, which is Genesis 14, there is a confederacy of various um, groups. I suppose you'd call them tribal groups or small country groups. And there was an attack made on the area of Sodom. Now, you may remember from last week that Abram uh, took with him when he was told to leave Ur of the Chaldees, his nephew, whose name was Lot. Now, Lot had uh, herds of animals himself, and there were too many to graze on the one pasture if you included Abram's animals. So Abram said to Lot, look, there's, there's too many of us. You can choose either the highlands or the lowlands. And Lot chose the lowlands. Abram stayed up in the mountainous area. However, in this attack on the area around Sodom, Lot was taken prisoner. Now, what could Abram do? Just sit there and bemoan the fact that Lot had been taken prisoner? No, he actually organised a raiding party with um, 318 318 trained men. And they, during the night, went down where the attackers had um, Lot imprisoned and they freed him. And I think they uh, killed a few of these people who had been attacking. So this would have been a very stressful time for Abram in, uh, to have a small force of only 318 men and to go and to attack a force of a lot more and come away victorious. Now, when we get to Genesis chapter 15... It says, God said to Abram, I am your shield, your very great reward. Now, after a battle like this, with a very insecure outcome, God reassured Abram that he was his shield. So we'll deal with that a little bit more later on. But this would have been very reassuring for Abram. Thank you, Lance. So the word of the Lord was God actually talking with him. I believe that's the case, but the word of the Lord could also be interpreted or understood, not interpreted, understood simply to be the written word of what God has told us, in other words, the Bible. But we also have another meaning for the word of the Lord. It tells us in John chapter 1, that Jesus himself was the word, God the word. And so I suppose you could say there are actually three meanings here. One was a direct uh, speech 
that God made to Abram. Secondly, that it's God's written word, the Bible. And thirdly, Jesus, who is God, the word. Thank you, Len. Thank you. Okay. It goes on to say that the Lord says to Abraham, fear not Abraham. Why should Abraham be afraid? And, you know, did God give Abraham any reasons for courage? And what were they? It's interesting, Helen. Um, I'd just like to comment briefly on um, what Len said from Chapter 14. It's rather interesting that when Abram came upon these men by night, those who had taken Lot prisoner, he split his group, he split his band of men into three groups. Now, we do know of another occasion in history where this took place a, a guy called Gideon, who had roughly the same number of men, split his uh, group into three, and they attacked from three different sides, thus causing a great deal of confusion amongst the enemy. I suspect that um, there was a very much a case of Abram had prayed before he went on this expedition and God again came through and rewarded them with a signal victory. But um, when you come to why should he be afraid, first and foremost, the kings that he scattered and Lot that he recovered along with all the booty and the other people um, these kings were still around. As far as we know, uh, certainly I agree with Len that some of them had been killed, but the kings by and large were probably still intact. There would have been a, th a thought, I would think, that um, they might come back, that there might be revenge and uh, taken on them for what they did. But here, I believe God is going to a deeper meaning than simply I'm going to look after you physically. I believe that he's saying the future, you have to trust me on the future because Abram, as we will find out in a verse or two's time, says, well, what are you actually going to give me? I mean, you've promised me that you're my shield and my very great reward, but what are you actually going to give me? And um, the very great reward, I believe, was to do, um, as we've said earlier on, with the fact that the Messiah was going to come through this line. I wonder, Helen, when, when God said this to Abram, whether he actually went back to um, Genesis 3.15, whether he was aware of Genesis 3.15, of the promise that was made to Adam and Eve. Because given that in those days all of the uh, knowledge that they had was passed on by, by rote, in other words, from father to son to son to son and down through the line, I, I just wonder whether he was aware of Genesis 3.15 so that when God comes back to him and says, I'm your shield, your protector and your very great reward, I wonder whether he was reminded of the promise way back there that um, not only now he's being told would they inherit this land, he would also be reminded if he remembered that, that there was going to come a point when the Messiah was going to come and deal with the issue of sin once and for all. Sometimes we think, um, you know, that some of these Bible characters are, are very different to ourselves. And we are, you ask the question, why, why would he be afraid? I think it's a default state that we all can slip into very easily. There are so many things that cause us anxiety. And I guess we live in, a, in Australia, we live in a very relatively very peaceful 
peaceful place in the world. But those times were particularly turbulent. You never knew when a marauding tribe or, you know, a group would come through and decimate entire villages or entire tribal groups. Um, so I guess it also applies to us because even after a huge victory like he had, he was probably still feeling very vulnerable. And so, um, you know, I think it's also important for us to remember that Jesus or God is our shield. But, um, yeah, it, it is a, a, unfortunately it's a state that we resort to when we're not feeling very sure of ourselves. Thank you. Lee? Well, I'm sure there was always the fear of reprisal because Abraham's or Abram's group was not a large group, unlike some of these other um, tribal leaders or kings. So there was that there, as has already been mentioned. But there might have been a background fear that Abram had with the um, promise of him becoming a uh, the beginning of a great nation and having no sons to um, carry on the family line, he was probably thinking, well, what's happening? I'm unsure about things. And that may have caused him a little bit of fear as well. Thank you, Len. Quite, quite apt. Yeah, I was also thinking about the Canaanites. They would have perhaps been noticing what was happening. And I guess there was also that fear that they may attack. So, you know, there was kind of all around him, wasn't it? But, Joe, as you indicated, even though we're in the middle of a storm or these troubles, God has promised to be with us right through to the end. Brenton, you wanted to comment. Oh, very quickly. Um, he's in the promised land now, but he mm-hmm. hasn't possessed it. He's, yes. he's basically a stranger and a yes. pilgrim in the land. And I yes. think it's a very strong lesson for us today that we in this world are strangers and pilgrims. This is not our home. Our home is heaven. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, panel, for referring to where we're at with it today too. That's that's really great. Now, there was another reason. In fact, there were two reasons when God spoke to Abram, uh, as mentioned in Genesis 15, verse 1. It says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield your very great reward. One of the reasons why Abram should have felt um, confident and uh, courageous is the fact that God spoke to him. The very fact that God spoke to him uh, personally was a good reason to take courage. And then, of course, the other bit where God said, I and your shield, and then he added your very great reward. I think there are two reasons. I've, I've uh, come across some people who felt that God really spoke to them. I'll tell you what, if you have an experience like that, it is very, very reassuring. And I, oh, think, I think Abram must have felt reassured, the fact that God spoke to him, told him, what he wanted to say. That was my comment. Thank you. Thank you for that. Right. You mentioned that um, he said he was Abram's shield. 
So we need to sort of just look at that and think, why did he refer to himself? We're talking God here as Abraham's shield. And let's just explore that a little bit. And, um, yeah, perhaps Ken. I think there's a, a few things in that. Unfortunately, as we uh, heard from Lynn, that uh, the the tribes, the Israeli tribes, they were surrounded by the Kenites and the Hittites and the Parasites and the Amorites and goodness knows how many other people. And they're always having battles and fights and what's going on. And, and the Lord was with them, protecting them. But I think in this particular instance, uh, I believe what God is trying to do here is to actually get through to Abraham on a real intimate, personal level, not so much saying, look, that I am the protection of the Israelites, but I am your protection first and the tribes as well. I believe that's what he's trying to get across here because, as we are saying, uh, they're always having battles and fights and things going on in the land around about them. Mm, thank you, Ken. Yes, Lynn. I um, looked up some of the metaphors where God states, I am. And it's interesting, there are a number of metaphors very similar to this one, I am your shield. God uh, claims to be our rock where we have security. He claims to be our fortress where we can well, perhaps not hide, but where we a safe place for us, our shield, our stronghold, all those have got to do with war and peace and that kind of thing. And then there are many others, like I am your shepherd, I am your light, I am your glory, and it keeps going. But in this case, God identifies himself as a protection. Thank you, Lynn. What does God mean when he says, I am? We did cover this a little bit last mm. week. God is the all-existent one, past, present, and future. That's um, quite correct, yep. God is, God is unlimited by time, and God is unlimited in power and knowledge and strength and those things. Thank you, Lynn. There are over 60 um, references where God says, I am, throughout Scripture. Brenton, you wanted to comment. Yes, just quickly. Um, I, I agree with what Lynn has said. I think also there's an additional thing. The whole of the, uh, the first part of Chapter 15, verse 1 to 5, is primarily based on one thing, and that is Abram saying to God, well, I understand what... <laughs> that you've brought me out of Ur of the Chaldees, you've brought me to this land, but I still don't have any children. And in uh, verse 5, obviously this vision took place at night. Incidentally, this, Helen, is the first time in the Bible where the term the word of the Lord is actually used, and that's usually used in, in the context of prophets. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, etc., etc., but in verse 5, it says, Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward the heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. I think we've got to remember the whole of chapter 15 is based on the fact of you are going to become a great nation, even though it is pretty obvious to you at the moment that you don't have any children. 
God's saying, I know you don't have any children. I know that you know that you don't have any children. Trust me. I will fulfill what I've said I'm going to do. I think that's why he begins with the I am, because if you're self-existent, you not only know the past, you also know the future as well as the present. And therefore, you can trust a person who is past, present and future. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, that's spot on. I, I was interesting. I did a little bit of study into shields as well, and they're very, very important for protection. But I noticed also in Scripture that Solomon, he actually made shields of gold. Yes. You know, which sort of put an, ad, an added um, dimension onto them as well. Um, Ken, what what happens to God's shield if we see a, fo- a faithful follower of, of God dying unexpectedly? Does that mean that God has taken away a shield or? Okay. Question, that's a good question, Helen. Um, what happens to God's shield when a faithful follower suffers or something dreadful happens? And so we, we seem to equate the shield of God as constant protection. Um, however, we see the opposite around. We, we know in Abraham's life that he had some hard times, that he had his fair share of troubles. We know from the life of Christ that he is a man of of grief and acquainted with sorrow. So clearly the shield of faith, if you like, um, quoting New Testament, is uh, not is not a, a get out of jail for free or whatever it is. You're not bulletproof. So yeah. clearly there's more to it. And um, I think that it's important. There are some beautiful verses. Um, if I might just quote a few of them in Psalms 56. When I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God will I pray, I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I am not afraid what flesh can do unto me. And then in Psalm 31, be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. He is my refuge and my fortress. He will deliver me. You know, so I think there are, the, the bigger picture is not so much what happens in this life here and now, but rather, you know, what happens in the future? You know, will God be there to protect my soul, my eternal destiny, my faith? Will God be there? So another a good text is, thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day. We know that the Satan is always looking for ways to trip us up, to for us to lose our hold on Christ. But we, if we hang on to his promises, including the messianic promises, we will remain safe in Christ's embrace, holding on to him. So, um, yes, sometimes terrible things do happen, but that doesn't mean that God has left us or forsaken us because he's promised that he'll be with us even unto the end of the world. So these are uh, terrific promises. So, yeah, so that's something that very often people think that because they've become Christian, they're untouchable, nothing bad can happen, and it's like a, what do they call it? The prosperity gospel. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so unfortunately Jesus didn't live the prosperity gospel. Yeah, thank you for that, Joe. It also mentions in that psalm you were quoting, which is one of my favourites, Psalm 91, it mentions about pestilences as well. So I, I would like to encourage people to have a look at that psalm, it, it is a certainly that's like a shield, isn't it? Len, you wanted to speak and then Brenton. Yes. And on the surface, 
it looks like when Jesus was killed on the cross, that God's protection was removed. And it might look to some people, say, well, God's promises don't mean a thing because Jesus died on the cross when um, God made this promise to Abram that he would be his shield and his protector. But, you know, Jesus' death on the cross was, was not a defeat. It was a victory. It was necessary for him to die to take our punishment. Um, God would, uh, if God had saved Jesus from dying on the cross, there would be no hope for anybody because Jesus could not have fulfilled his mission. And Jesus actually gave up his life willingly. He acceded to his father's will. He, he prayed in the garden on the night when he was taken by the uh, temple guards. He said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. So this was not a defeat. It was a victory. So God's promise to Abraham as his shield also happened with Jesus, but it was the circumstances were quite different. Mm, thank you, Len. Brenton? Yeah, just um, a couple of comments on that, um, Helen. Um, your question was what happens to God's shield when we see a faithful follower of his dying unexpectedly. I'm going back to before the flood. Um, Methuselah, we know from inspired sources, died the very year of the flood. And there were other people who died as well before the flood came. Now, why did God not allow them to go into the ark with Noah and his family? I believe God knew that maybe they would not be able to um, have the physical strength. I mean, let's face it, um, Methuselah was 969 years old when he died. Um, also, you have the example in Scripture of Daniel. Daniel's told at the end of the book of Daniel that you will rest, you will go to your rest. And we also have other examples in Scripture where God actually said to Abram, the person we're talking about, he says later on, he said that you won't see um, your, uh, the possession of this land by your descendants because you will go to your rest. I think the message that I get, Helen, out of all of this is trust the Lord. If you are called to your rest unexpectedly, don't see it as a defeat. See it as a victory. Also see it as a fact that an all-merciful God who knows the end from the beginning knows what is best. And providing you have committed yourself into his hands, regardless of what happens, you are safe. So the shield has not been removed. The shield is just, um, shall we say, placed in a different position. Oh, amen. Thank you. It's interesting. I had a, a minister say once at a funeral, there are things worse than death. And he said, probably you won't understand that. And over the years, I have come to understand that. And I think you're spot on with what you were saying, um, Brenton. God knows the end from the beginning. He, he knows where people are at. Um, Joe, you wanted to make a comment. Yes, um, Brenton, it's interesting that you brought, um, brought up Methuselah, but you can go right back to the beginning. And, and we know yeah. that Abel was the very first martyr. Yes. You know, he died for his faith, basically. Yeah. And um, yeah. it's so close to Eden. It's so close to the fall. Um, and so clearly things happen for a reason and God's shield does not stand in the way of others 
freedom of choice, I suppose. So I guess it's the important thing to remember is that we may not have all the answers or, you know, understand what happens and why it happens, but the closer that we align ourselves, even today, to God's will, this, this is the happiest trajectory that we could ever take in this planet. Even even then, we have will have problems and issues and unhappiness from time to time, but our our best hope of living the happiest life we could possibly live in on this planet would be when we cl- align ourselves the closest that we can to God's will. Yes, um, and that's our safest spot, <laughs> safest trajectory. True. And thank you, Joe. I, I really believe that without God, we do have a lot of problems. But with him, those problems become challenges because he's got them in, in hand. Yes, Lynn. I've thought about this question in the context of what would happen, what would I do if this country was invaded by a foreign country? Would I get a gun and try to defend myself and reduce the number of attackers. Yes, that might work for a little while, but after a bit, I don't think I would be anything else than mincemeat. So that's not the answer. And I think the answer is found in what we're talking about today and what God had said to Abraham, Abram rather. He said, I am your shield. And that's the only protection. And then I thought, well, what if, um, what if I do get killed? Well, I'd have to say this. It doesn't matter. As long as I'm faithful to the Lord and trust in him, it doesn't matter. Because his promises are sure. He's promised that if we're faithful, that we accept the sacrifice that Jesus made for sinners, such as me, then I will be able to inherit eternal life. So that was that's my answer. Mm, good answer, Len. Thank you so, so much. Um, God also said in Genesis 12, 2 and 18, 18, he also gave um, Abraham a statement, you know, he would make something of him. What was that? All right, well, you know, I have trouble with this Abram Abraham business, <laughs> and I see you do too. We meet the same person, we're just giving different names. In Genesis 12, 2, where God had called Abram and told him to go into a country or a place where I will show you, he added this. He said, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. So here God is saying from you there you will be there will be a great nation. And then in verse 18, 18, God um, reaffirms what he said. He said, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. And all nations on the earth will be blessed through him. And this, of course, is the the promise that means most to us as Christians. I'd like to add verse 19. God says, for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord 
by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Now, besides God promising that Abraham would be a blessing and would be the father of a great nation, he also says that all peoples on the earth would be blessed through Abram. And if anyone asks me that question, the answer I give them is, if you read Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3, is it, or 4, where it gives the genealogy, the human genealogy of Jesus, it goes back to Abram. And Jesus, of course, as the Messiah who gave his life for people, the world has been blessed through him, even in other ways. If you think what happened during the Reformation, how this became the beginning of the Age of Enlightenment, that knowledge increased and, and inventions took place, including the printing press, what a, what a blessing Jesus has been. And he, of course, could trace his lineage back to Abram. Mm, thank you, Len. But can you just explain also, while you're on a roll, in God's eyes, what makes a name great? All right. Well, uh, first of all, it would be famous. Of course, there are some famous people whose names are not great. I could mention Hitler, Stalin, Pol Pot, Idi Amin. Their names were famous. But the great bit means they were of great influence and benefit to the world. And Abram was a great influence and benefit to the world at that time and since, because through him came the Messiah. So uh, I'd also like to say I have a Quran and the Quran has quite a bit to say about Abram. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the Muslims uh, regard Abram as a great man as well, as do Christians. So I think that's a, a good answer as I can give on the spot, Helen. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, I, I've got a note here that I've got, what makes a man gra- a name great in the eyes of God is character, yeah. faith, obedience, humility, and love for others, traits that might often be respected in the world but are not usually the factors the world would deem as making someone's name great. You know, by our words, by our actions, even our attitudes, we can help bring glory to God. Can we not? Yes. Yeah. And But at the other side of the coin, we can bring shame to him um, by our words and our actions and deeds. Joe, you wanted to make a comment. Just a quick one, Helen. Um, Abraham or Abram did not start off as great. You know, he was just a a humble man. Um, But I guess, like you said, what made him great is his walk with God and his his, uh, faith in God's promises. Even though he wavered from time to time and had a wobble like we do, he actually uh, followed the Lord. But he didn't begin off, he didn't start off great. God doesn't pick people who think they're great or are great because then they are prone to thinking that it was by their own abilities, their own 
you know, inherent goodness that they've, you know, been able to, and this is what he said about Israel, you know, I've brought you out, I have chosen you, not because you're an amazing group of people, but because you're the least, you know, and then he turned around and made them into a great nation. And, of course, that, um, you know, that is crowned by the birth of Christ and what he has done Mm. for humanity. Thank you very much, Joe. I see three hands up just before I get there. Um, I did read a, a quote once that said, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Yes. And I believe that's what he did in the case of Abraham. Now we've got Brenton, we've got Ken, and we've got Len want to speak. Okay. You go, well, I will be very brief, um, Helen. <laughs> uh, the name great, you did touch on it. It means I believe primarily in God's eyes what makes a person great is character. But character is revealed in action. And I believe that there is an aspect of Abram's life and later Abraham that we don't tend to spend a lot of time on, and that is this. Wherever Abram went, he had a positive influence. Even when he left Ur, and I agree with Joe that um, he was just a humble man, but we know from the book Patriarchs and Prophets that even when he left of the Chaldees, he took people with him who had begun to believe in the true God because he was surrounded by idolaters. Wherever Abram went, even down in Egypt when he lied to Pharaoh about his wife, even there God says to Pharaoh in a dream that this man is a holy man, he is actually a prophet. And um, wherever Abram went, it seems that in the main, he exerted a very, exuded a very positive influence. And Uh I think name is not connected with what you've done. It's connected with what you show and what benefit you can make to society. And if Abram was alive today, wherever he lived, he would be a positive influence, I believe, in society. Thank you very much, Brenton. Um, Ken? I was going to say something actually along the same lines. Uh, Christians today, what perhaps would make us great is having the character of Jesus. And we read in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So uh, along the lines of Brent was saying, it's what we do and act in the world today. He certainly is our example. Um, Len, you wanted to say something? Yes, one of the people we would classify in these times who is great or whose name is great would be Mother Teresa. The fact is that she gave up her life in a certain sense. I don't mean she died in, in that sense, but she she gave up her self-interest for the interest of others, and her name is well known around the world. Of course, we have the name of Jesus. His name is a name above all other names because of what he did in the interest of others. I find it rather remarkable that given what Jesus did for humanity, that his name is used so flippantly and it really irks me when people use the name Jesus or say Jesus Christ or something like that without uh, reverencing his name. 
And his name, of course, is greater than any others because of what he did for Mm -hmm. others, not for himself. It's interesting you should bring that up. I I was um, doing a demonstration in front of, I think there was about 15 guys, and um, one guy used the name of the Lord in vain and um, without thinking out of my mouth came, oh, you're on first-name basis with him too. So am I. He's my best friend. <laughs> and um, the others kind of laughed and, and the guy just looked at me. He said, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, because often people say it without even thinking. Brenton, um, God chose a nation and, and Exodus 19, 5 and 6 tells us about it. Why did he choose these particular people? What were they to do? Well, can I read the verse and then we'll uh, give a comment or two on it. It says, You may. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Now, here, here there is something very, very interesting. Why did he choose these people? He chose these people because I believe, first and foremost, it goes back to the original promise he had made to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden that I touched on earlier in Genesis 3.15, that um, where he said that the seed of the woman would come a descendant, and it's in the singular in the Hebrew, that someone would come and would destroy the power of the, the devil, the serpent. Now here, he is actually stating that I am going to take you unto myself as my special people if you will be obedient to my um, covenant. Now, it's interesting whenever, Helen, you discuss the issue of Israel as God's chosen people, it starts out here by God stating that if you will be obedient to my covenant, you will be my special people. This is not, um, shall we say, a blank check. This is a case of if you are obedient, you will be my special people. Joe touched on earlier on that um, I think it comes from Deuteronomy, what Joe, uh, Joe was quoting, where he says you're not the most numerous people on the face of the earth or you're the most important. I've brought you forward because I want you to be a light. I want you to be an example, not just an example. I want you to bring these other nations, see, see these heathen nations, to come to me in order that all nations of the earth can be blessed. And therefore, the covenant that I'm making with Abraham or or that he made with Abraham, he's restating in terms here that really, if you are my special people, you will be a blessing to all nations. In other words, my covenant promises made way back then to Noah and before that to Abram, all of those covenant promises will be fulfilled. However, when you get to the New Testament, in 1 Peter 2.9, Peter virtually says the same thing. He says, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. But then he adds some words. To show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Now, that presupposes that God's people today are going to be in the midst of spiritual darkness. They're going to be amongst a group of people who are groping, as it were, spiritually. And we are, as God's special people, we are to shine in such a way that we will attract people, not just intellectually, 
will it will attract people spiritually because of our character. Our name is also God's character is certainly um, on show in His people, and we are so sinful sometimes and so weak, and yet God still perseveres with us. He says, "You are my special treasure." And I'm going to continue to work through you because apart from you, there is no way that this world is going to receive spiritual light and uh, therefore um, physical healing and spiritual healing. So I, I think these two texts, Exodus 19, 5 and 6 and 1 Peter 2, 9, complement one another. One is talking from an Old Testament perspective and note that this one is given before they go to Mount Sinai. They haven't been to Mount Sinai and had the law restated formally to them at this point in time. He's calling them his special people before he gives them his Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. We, in First Peter 2, 9, look back on the fact that Christ said, I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And he actually calls us, I believe, as his special people to abide in his love. We have to abide in him in order to bear fruit. And I believe that First Peter 2, 9, even though it doesn't talk about fruit, um, if you're called out of darkness into his marvellous light, the fruit of being called out of darkness will be evident to everyone. Thank you so much, Brenton. I have Len and then I have Joe. Thanks, Len. In Exodus, Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6, it says, You will be for me a kingdom of priests and the holy nations. That begs the question, what function did the priest actually have in the Jewish economy? Well, first of all, he was the one who ensured that things were done right with, with the ceremonies and so on. But there was another thing. It was to bring to the people the knowledge of God and this reference also given in um, Peter talks about a holy nation, a peculiar or particular people. And I believe it's the job of us as Christians, as a holy nation, as a kingdom of priests to the Lord, to share with others the knowledge of God not the knowledge that God has in himself, but the knowledge about God, about salvation. This is our task as a kingdom of priests. Thank you, Len. We need to go tell it on the mountain, don't we? Joe? Also, um, Len, I think there's an aspect of as priests were to intercede on the behalf of those who are in darkness, um, those who are struggling, that... Uh, it's an intercessory aspect as well. So we're called to pray for others, not just for ourselves and those we love. But in, with reference to something that Brenton said, that um, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Look, I agree absolutely that there will be deep darkness surrounding those who have been, you know, who are Christ's. But also I think there's an aspect of some who have been in that outer darkness, in that deep darkness, will also be drawn to the light and come out. And I think that is very encouraging that even if you find yourself in darkness, that God is drawing you with his light. Come to the light, come to Christ, come to God, come to safety. 
Thank you very much. Thank you, panel. You're doing very well. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, we do live in a darkened world, don't we? And I was interested, I was reading uh, from Augustine, more, he wrote more than 1,500 years ago about the state of humanity of the world at that time. And I thought, okay, I would share this with Ken. And perhaps, Ken, you can tell us, is there any similarity between the world then and the world now? Yes, there certainly is, Helen. I think anyone living today who thinks we live in a really smart and clever world, it would be worthwhile them reading what Augustine wrote about this life of ours. And he talks about this in his day, that most things are vain and poisonous and it breeds many heartaches. They've got troubles and griefs and fears. There's discord, there's strife, they have wars, there's fraud, robbery, uh, envy, ambition, murder, cruelty. The list just goes on and on and on. And if you look at it, it really is exactly the same as our world is today. And I say for anyone who thinks that we have a much, much better world, they're absolutely wrong because really nothing's changed. The only thing that has changed, uh, I guess, in a way is that today we know better and we know that the hope of Jesus is not that far away. And uh, we have that to look forward to because this world, as we know, is just getting worse and worse every day. Thank you very much, Ken. Um, Isaiah 25, 8 and 9. I believe this gives us hope for the future. Joe. Yes, it certainly does. Um, this is just one aspect of what can give us hope for the future. And I guess the fear of death is a very common fear and, and people, you know, are worried and afraid of being in perpetual oblivion, eternal separation from loved ones. And the heartache that this has caused, that death and separation has caused over the millennia. But there's a text in Isaiah 25, 8 and 9, and it promises he will swallow up death in victory. Amen, hey? Amen. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the rebuke of his people shall be taken away from all the earth, for the Lord hath spoken it. And it shall be said in that day, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Can you imagine that, that you know, the voices saying, this is our God. This is, um, this beats just about anything, doesn't it? It and surely so, does. This is, our, this is just one hope for the future. Mm-hmm. And that is that death will be swallowed up and that there will be no more eternal oblivion, no more uh, perpetual separation, that um, we will live in God's light with our loved ones. Thank you, Joe. I know we've only got a few minutes to go. Um, Len, another one, 1 Corinthians 2.9. Can you share that with us, please? All right. Well, this was written by the Apostle Paul, and he said, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. Mm. This is referring to eternal life and in a certain way to this life now. But, you know, Christians have been criticised on this. They said, the the argument goes like this, are you Christians? You put off all the pleasures of this world waiting for something that is yet to come. 
We don't put off all the pleasures of this world. In fact, I think as Christians, we enjoy a satisfying life, peaceful life, happy life. But what God promises is far greater than what we've ever even dreamed of. And I look forward to that too. But I don't look forward just to that. What I look forward to is to be able to say thank you to my Saviour who died for me, that I might have those um, benefits as well. Thank you, Len. On this earth, we can have life more abundantly. And wow, it's going to be more, 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 more than abundant when when the Lord comes. Um, Brenton, would you share with us, please, Revelation 21.4 and perhaps finish on Matthew 28.20? Yes, uh, Revelation 21.4 is probably Helen, one of the best-known texts in the New Testament. It says, uh, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, where did we hear that? Joe read that in Isaiah 25. That is virtually a direct quote from uh, from Isaiah 25, transposed to the New Testament. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. How many times, Helen, have we stood around at an open grave and heard a minister or somebody quote those words. But really, I think to understand the fullness of this, you have to go back to verse 3, where it says the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. Um, What did we lose because of sin? The first thing we lost was direct face-to-face communion with God. What have we got here? We've had that connection that was broken, restored we have face-to-face communion with god and following that um we are actually given a gospel commission and that's matthew 28 19 and 20 and we're told to go and make disciples of all nations to baptize them in the name of the father the son and the holy ghost and jesus said um lo i am with you always even unto the end of the world i think we realize when we um prepare this Bible study, when we present this Bible study, not only for ourselves as panel, but for those who listen, this is a call that is given to all of us. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. In other words, we don't go out in our own strength because we will fail for sure. But when we go out in God's strength, everything is possible. And also the possibilities of how we can reach people with the gospel become much greater. If you go in God's strength, we are told that he has a thousand ways of finishing the work of the gospel in this world that we know nothing about. I think we need to tap in onto some of those thousand ways, and we can do that by um, being available and, like Isaiah, saying, Here am I, Lord, send me. Thank you very much, and thank you, panel, also. Um, Just need to finish up. But I was thinking about, we've been literally talking about God's covenant in the last few weeks. And, and this was the Abrahamic covenant that we've discussed today. And his covenants, my friends, they are timeless. His promise of salvation is still extended to us. We are the children of promise. But there comes that little word, if. 
if we choose to open our hearts to him. I, I was reading a story, and I just want to um, just paraphrase it a little bit, about a father and his 10-year-old daughter spending their holiday at the seashore. And one day they went for a swim, they got separated, and the father, um, he realised that they were being carried further out. And he said to his daughter, Mary, I'm going to shore for help. If you get tired, turn on your back. You can float all day that way. I will come back for you. And, you know, they had searchers out looking for her, and it was four hours before they found her. And she was just, she was on her back, and she seemed to, she thought it was strange how everybody was panicking. And her words were, Father said I could float all day on my back and that he would come for me. I just swam and floated because I knew he would come. We have a promise that Jesus is coming. He's on his way. And if we heed his words, we will be safe with him. Just as that little girl was safe, she followed the obedience of the father. We need to to do the same. Choose to open your heart to him now because now is the day of salvation. Let's close our eyes for prayer, shall we? Loving Heavenly Father, Lord, what a delight to study your word. What a delight to share your promises. What a delight to know that you are our God, our shield, our protector. And you have said you will be with us forever. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. May we not be afraid of what's coming. May we look at how you've led us in the past and how you've led the, the prophets and the people in Scripture and know that with a surety that you will bring us to the land of Canaan, to the promised land where I has not seen, ear has not heard the wonderful things you've prepared for us. Bless each listener, bless the panel, Lord, and may we keep strong with you and may we be found waiting, looking up and say, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him and we will rejoice. Bless each one now, I pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today, listeners. We've enjoyed sharing these words of promise and hope with you today. And we hope you'll come and join us again next time. But in the meantime, keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.